Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 24, and um, we're going to kind of jump in where we left off, kind of a continuation of the last episode. Uh, Just quite a bit to say in a short amount of time, so uh, just doing a part two. Before I jump in and continue on, uh, again, uh, for those who are rejoining me, I appreciate you coming along for the ride. Uh, For those who are maybe new to this podcast, I appreciate you taking the time to check it out. Um, I hope you hear something that the Lord speaks deeply to your heart, and I hope it leaves a mark on you for deeper intimacy and hunger with God. And so um, I welcome you, and I look forward to these opportunities to, to minister. So let's just jump in. So previously, I spent a great deal of time speaking predominantly on Moses and uh, some of the some of the behavior, some of the disobedience, some of the instances where we've seen uh, previous examples of the water from the rock. And this episode, I want to spend more time speaking of Joshua the uh, the one who would come after Moses, kind of Moses' uh, protege. And, but kind of, uh, as I was thinking on whether or not I made this clear or a component of it clear, I just want to kind of reinforce it, though. In And this is by no means to uh, detract from the character and quality of Moses. However, we do see a a very clear example here of what uh, disobedience, or we could call it maybe even compromise, cost Moses. We we see, it's clear by Scripture, that it cost him being able to inherit himself the promised land from being able to be a partaker of. Um, Instead, he, though by the goodness of God, God permitted him to see the promised land, but he could not enter it. Um, Deuteronomy 34, um, we talked about how Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom. Uh, Moses had laid hands on him. Um, And we see in verse, in chapter 34, Um, It says, chapter 34, verse 1, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. So we see that the Lord allowed Moses to see the land, but he could not enter into. And we know that that is because of his disobedience, uh, f- that um, not doing as the Lord had directed him regarding the water from the rock. I do want to point out that this is kindness on God's part to to show Moses the land. 
He was able to see it, but it was just beyond his reach. Now, whether this is, you know, kind of a, a f- based on the physical location, could could Moses, this is a question I don't know the answer to, but could Moses from that place, could he see all these lands? Or was this a, a, a kind of a, a spiritual vision that he was able to behold this whole region that he was promised? Um, I, I'm not from the area, nor have I stood there, so I don't know to what degree a person could see this territory, this this vast domain that was promised. Um, I presume that perhaps this is something that Moses couldn't in the natural see it all. So this perhaps was a, a spiritual revealing that Moses was able to see in vision um, or at least po- portions of the land. So, one thing that I really want to impress upon our hearts as we closed out that portion in Moses' time and under his leadership is whatever we want to call that moment that Moses had that disqualified him from seeing, from, from being able to enter into the promised land, whatever we want to call it, uh, compromise, disobedience, um, um, moments of impurity, whatever it is. I believe that it's important to remember that, and I believe the, tr- the same is true for the day that we live, that to be able to, to step into that place or thing that God has called us to is going to require a purity and obedience and a holiness that is unparalleled and it and is and it de- and it requires a lifestyle of um, single-eyedness unto the Lord. I think uh, in the day that we live throughout all the different countries that are are hearing this and experiencing their unique situation based on their context i think that the same can be said for throughout the whole of the earth is that for what god wants to do in this next season in this place that he wants us to enter into it requires a holiness a purity a a unspottedness, a lifestyle of consecration that is uh, honoring and devoted unto God, that is required. And and when we fall short of that, we see exactly what happened in Moses' life, that he was not permitted to enter in. And so this next story, we see Joshua and and I believe Joshua is a picture of consecration. It is, um, it is kind of representative of a company of people who, no matter what it takes, has a desire, has a urgency to say yes to a life of consecration. It's not easy. It's filled with peril and uh, maybe danger in some regards. But whatever the cost, our singular desire is to please the heart of the Father, our Father God. And, and through that, we can then step into that which God has determined for us to have. We can partner with his will, with his desire. So this, uh, this next place that we find ourselves in, I'm probably going to spend the majority of my time in Joshua chapter 7, but may touch on here some of um, chapter 6 and chapter 8. But previous to Joshua 6, we see that um, 
there is a new generation that has yet to be circumcised. Um, as we remember, there was the you know the forty years that the previous generation had to to wander in the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua and the spies, when they spied on this this promised land, this Canaan land, they were seeing these giants, and they come back with this report to the rest of the people, which melted their hearts in fear and unbelief that there's no way that we can take this land. These people are giants, and we are but grasshoppers to them. And so they come back with this report, and, and it melts the hearts of all who hear. But uh, Joshua and Caleb, they stayed firm in trusting the Lord, and that if he says that they will take the land, they had full confidence and faith that, that it would be theirs. So, so throughout their throughout this punishment that Israel had as a result of their dishonoring the Lord's word, they're forced to to wander in the wilderness. Their 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 uh, promise of their the promised land gets postponed for forty years, and and effectively what it does is it causes that whole generation who who had doubt in their hearts. It caused that whole generation to die off until the next generation would say, we believe God for what he said and what he will do, and we'll take him at his word for it. And so this next generation now is coming up, and the old generation has has now passed away. They've all died, and now there's this new generation that has yet to be circumcised. Now, this is a beautiful picture of kind of a singular devotion to uh, to the Lord, a, a uh, cutting off of the old and um, picturing a healing and a restoration, a consecration unto the Lord. So in verse or in chapter five, it's speaking of this new generation and and as Joshua and the leadership, um, they there is the Lord requires of them a circumcision. And you know we see we see in the new testament uh the new covenant we see this this idea of a circumcision of the heart and and so it's a consecration of um a consecration of our passion our desire unto the lord letting it be holy and sacred unto him and so there's a requirement of of circumcision and then there's even a um, there's even a a a traveling across the Jordan and a drying of the waters just like Moses got from the Red Sea. So it kind of speaks to this reality that God is the same and he doesn't change and and the mighty works that he works in in days of old he he is ready and eager to do in the days of that lie in front of us ahead of us now um one thing i do want to point out this isn't a, ser- a section that i want to stay in a long time but i think it is important um in ver- in chapter 5 verse 11 on the day after the passover on that very day they ate the produce of the land. We're talking about the new, the new land, Canaan land, the, the promised land. They ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. See, God provided this this manna supernaturally for them that would just, you know, come down from heaven and would feed them. And so they get, though, into the place of promise. And now sometimes we think that it's just this, you know, once we get to that place that God has predetermined for us, you know, it's just going to be this kick back and relax kind of thing. But that's not at all what happened here. They enter into this place of promise 
and then they produce, they, they harvest some of the fruit of what the land offers. And now it's time to, to do some work. You know, we don't really, sometimes we don't like to hear that, that kind of thing or think that that's not necessarily the case. But when they ate of the land, the manna stopped falling. And now they had to produce from the land the crops that they would consume. So I think that's important um, to remember in the day in which we live and concerning the, um, the, end or the the place of promise that the Lord has for us. Uh, sometimes when we enter it, it's time to do some work. So just briefly touch on in chapter 6, um, Jericho um, is, God gives them direction on, on how to conquer this fortified city. Um, and it goes into detail about how it is taken and it is destroyed. Now, one thing that I want to to point out is he the Lord gives very specific directions on how to um, approach the city, how to um, how to bring down the walls, and then what to do with everything in it. It says, um, here's what I was looking for in verse 24, chapter 6 in Joshua. It says, They burned down the city and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Now, in verse, if we, if we back up in verse 18, it says, As for you, so the Lord is giving Joshua direction as, as a leader, As for you, keep away from the things devoted to destruction, so as not to covet and take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel an object for destruction bringing trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Okay, so that was the direction that the Lord gave specifically. Don't touch the valuables for yourselves. They are to go into the treasury of the Lord. And so we see in verse 24 and on, that they burned the city down, everything in it, but the valuables they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. So they were obedient there. Now, um, one very fascinating thing to me is in verse 25, previously there had been some spies that went into the land and Rahab took them in and and protected them and hid them so as they would not be captured and killed. So in verse 25, it says, But Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her, Joshua spared. Her family has lived in Israel ever since, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I believe that this is a, a wonderful, um, delightful picture of, of what would happen to, to Gentiles. Um, you know, that God would, would visit humanity. He would come through a people who were not a people, who were made a people through Israel. And it was as Abraham was pulled out of his homeland, which would have been a Gentile place, God took Abraham and made him into a people. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of these men had sons, and their sons had sons, and 
and and Jacob being becoming Israel, uh, the twelve tribes and their sons and families had families and so on. And we have this this host of of a people that would be birthed, people as in a nation of Israel would be birthed out of a out out of a man named Abraham, and promises were passed on generation to generation. And so this this beautiful picture here, I, I believe, with Rahab, you know, she she does not belong to to this nation of Israel, but she receives the messengers and she fears God and believes that he is um, a lover of these of these people, of these Israelites. And so she fears God and she receives in those messengers. Think of Think of those messengers. Think think of um, you know, prophets and uh, and apostles of God, and and so she receives the messengers, those whom God would send. She receives them into herself, and provides them fellowship and safety within within her walls, and then as a result, she is saved from destruction. Think of that as deliverance. Think of it as salvation. She is received into the family and lives among Israel as though she was one of them. So it's this, it's this beautiful picture of what I believe happens with Gentiles who would become a part of the family and taken into the the you know the the loving family. Of God, uh, so it's just this, it's really an awesome picture. Um, so, where I do though want to spend the majority of my time is through Joshua uh, chapter seven, and I just want to point out some key thoughts and some observations. I'm actually going to read the whole of chapter seven uh, because I think it's important for us. Um, so, you'll just kind of join. Join in in listening and uh, see what the Lord may draw out to you. I'm going to read this time out of the uh, NIV version, just to mix it up a little bit. So, chapter 7 of Joshua, it says, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan son of Carmah, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Now remember, what did we say in, in chapter 6? The direction was, um, this is regarding, um, this is regarding the city of Jericho and those valuable treasures that were to be stored in the temple, the the place of the Lord. And so we have this particular person, Achan, who did not, was not faithful, and he uh, took some of these devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to, to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. It's important to remember that part. So about three thousand went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. So 36 out of 3,000. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. 
some of us struggle to uh, you know, even pray for 15 minutes solid. So it's really kind of an indictment against our attention span um, in our day. Continuing on, it says, The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies... The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe with the Lord, the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward family by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, was the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. So, I also have here the uh, New Revised Standard, and I'm going to just read this last portion 
uh, 25, it says, Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord is bringing trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him to death. They burned them with fire, cast stones on them, and raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. So, that's pretty intense, um, a pretty intense moment. And uh, the Lord was very specific about what was to be done with the things that were set aside. But a man named Achan saw them, coveted them, and took them. So, one thing that I want to point out, among some others, is that one person, one person in a group, one person in a family, one person can derail us from walking in what God wants to do. Now, you may wonder, like, exactly what are you saying? Well, we saw that when Israel went up against AI in a, in a, in a place that there was hardly any inhabitants, these spies that came back said, we only need two or 3,000 people. We don't need the whole tribe. And so as, as 3,000 were sent, the sin of one man caused the whole company to get defeated. And not only to get defeated, but they got embarrassingly defeated. Their hearts and their, their, um, their bravery melted and they became like water. So one person in a group, one person in a family can derail us from doing, from accomplishing, from walking in God, what God wants us to do. That is why that we must teach our children, we must learn ourselves how important it is to surround ourselves with people who, who take their relationship with God seriously. This doesn't mean that we, we aren't able to have fun and, and enjoy ourselves in, in the sense of, you know, we're not rigid and um, robotic. Um, we can have genuine relationships. But we must be very careful about who we let into our inner circle and Jesus himself, he had a very, a very small number that he would permit into his inner circle. P, uh, so Peter, James, and John were the three out of the twelve disciples that were permitted to be in places that the others were not. Now we don't know why exactly those three men. Now we we do know that they had a, a very um, particularly influential role. In throughout you know the apostolic um, portion of the formation of the church in the early church, and so perhaps that there was some of that in regards to why they were permitted where they were with Jesus. But nonetheless, what we should be cautious and careful is that we we guard our spheres of influence. Because one person in a group can derail us from walking in what God wants us to do. So, when, when Achan had been discovered and he had went and he had saw these, these treasures... He coveted them. And Achan says, When I saw among the spoil, this is in verse 21, a beautiful mantle from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. This is an important reality to pay close attention to 
This was a two-part uh, action. It, it was a thought, a desire, and then there was an action. Now, many times, things can begin in the, in the mind, in the desires of the flesh. And if we cannot let our flesh conquer us um, purely by the strength that we get through Jesus, there is no way that we can conquer our flesh apart from Jesus Christ alone. He is the sole source of all of our strength and all of our success. Apart from him, there is no victory against anything that would rise up against us to try to conquer us through the flesh. But it was a two-part action. It was a thought, and then it was an action. He gave in to the desires of his heart through the, the reasoning and rationale of the mind. And that is why it is very important for us to remember that what begins in the mind as even a thought, if we do not address it and if we allow it to, to grow and to cultivate, then what starts in the mind will migrate to the heart. And if we are not careful... Once it, once it hits our heart, it's such a strong wave of passion that action is almost surely to follow. So we must guard our thoughts. I am a huge advocate for guarding our mind. It's one of the it's one of the biggest weaknesses of my life is the, the place of the mind. The battles are fought, won, and lost in the mind. That's where things begin. And whatever you, whatever you allow time to um, imagine and whatever you give your thoughts to will be the thing that conquers you. So guard your thought life and guard your heart because in doing so, we, we build a strong defense against action. Now, another point that I want to highlight in this is it said, Achan says, I coveted them and I took them, and they now lie hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, once we read on, or maybe you personally, as you kind of read through Joshua, in chapter 8, we see that Ai got captured and God permitted them to take spoils or the treasures. But in terms of Jericho, they were not allowed. So when Achan stole... If he had have been obedient, then what God would eventually have given you openly, but because that you took it, you reach, you, you reach out and you took it for yourself, you were forced to hide it and keep it hidden. So if we could understand that God, God desires to give us good things, and this is not, this is not advocating, um, you know, no one is supposed to be poor and everyone is supposed to be rich. That's not, I, I, I do not share that sentiment. But I believe so often what we try to take for ourselves, God is already desired to give to us. 
But because we take it of our own accord, we are forced to hide it and keep it silent instead of what God would have given us openly. When David sinned with Bathsheba and God was rebuking him and he told him, I've given you all of these things. I've given you this whole Saul's um, harem. You have all these um you have, you have treasures and wives and you have all these things. And if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. That's a powerful reality that God himself said, if, that, if all of this wasn't enough for you, I would have given you even more. But you took the thing that was not yours. And so that is something that we must remember is what we reach out and take. Now, some things are not for us and will never be for us. Bathsheba was never to be for David. But some things that we try to take ourselves, God would have given us down the road and we could have, it could have been displayed um, for all to see. Instead, he had it hidden in his tent. Buried. A treasure and beautiful things buried and hidden. Okay, so the next point I want to share on this is Achan's possessions. Everything he had. Tent, cattle, sons, daughters, what he stole. All of these things were all destroyed. He was stoned. In this last translation I read to you, they were burned and they were buried in stones and Achan received a great heap of stones over him. So, potentially all of them were stoned, all of them were burned. In this particular uh, New Revised, it specified he was stoned, they were burned, they were buried in stones, and he, Achan, received a great heap of stones over him. So, Achan, everything he had, possession, family, livestock, children, all of it was reduced to ashes and buried. Knowing what he knew after he was gone and after he's lost everything and what it cost him, knowing what he would have known, it's very likely that he would not have chosen to take those spoils knowing what it would cost him. That's exactly how sin works. It starts and it seems like a small secret thing, but it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. Sin it spreads. And this very likely could have been the reason his whole house was purged from the the Israelite congregation. Because sin it spreads like a cancer and when it and when when it and it develops in a place and then others get trapped into the allure of what that sin provides and and it begins to creep into their heart and so this darkness spreads like an infection and so very possibly this is why a complete and utter annihilation of his whole house was done we see this with in the early church with Ananias and Sapphira a complete annihilation a purging, if you will. But remember, the sin of the home leaders will cost the entire family. Some parents, you may be a, a single father, a single mother. Um, you may be a, a, a household that is still together, married, uh, husbands with wives. Whatever the sin that you partake in, in direct disobedience. You know it's wrong, and you've, and you've become partner to the sin. You walk with the sin. 
the sin of those leaders in the home will cost the entire family. Aiken's family and livestock and everything he had testifies to that. It cost the whole family his the evilness of his heart and allowing his desires to conquer. This actually very thing happened to David, to King David. His his adultery and and his disobedience of God's will, it cost his whole family. There was a judgment that was put upon his entire house because of his blatant sin and dysfunction. So, Achan sins, and Joshua gets direction from God to say, you identify the sin, and the the one who uh, caused, and you purge them out, and you rip out that infection. And so chapter 7 shows us the importance of purity and integrity in keeping fellowship and favor of God. See, living in compromise will divorce you from the presence of God. God told Joshua, I will not remain with you unless you deal with this dysfunction. And that has to be the desire of our hearts is to say, okay, God, I will do whatever it takes because I do not want you to depart from me. I do not want to divorce from your presence. And like Moses told God, he said, I will not go unless you come with us. That's the attitude that we have to have. We have to say, I'm, I will, I will, um, I will divorce myself from all things of this life that keeps me from being absent with God. And so that must be the desire of our heart. See, God will work against you until you have that mindset, until you divorce your things from the the, the desires of the flesh and, and the fulfillment of what you desire. And when you live in a place of fulfilling the desire of your flesh, God works against you to pull you out of that, to, to, to permit you to see the degradation that it causes in your life and, and everything that it's disrupting. He will work against you. But Joshua, the faithful one who desires the presence of God, who desires intimacy through obedience and purity. He said, "Uh, no, no. I value you, God. I value you too much to not do anything about this. I find it interesting, kind of in closing here, I find it interesting that God allowed the spoils to be enjoyed from Ai, but not Jericho. If you think about that for a second, and I ponder on that, why, why not Jericho and why was Ai okay? Now, I kind of jotted down a few reasons this could be, and these are all kind of speculation, but I think very valid possible reasons. Perhaps God was purging compromise out of the camp. I see God's all-knowing. He knows what's going to happen before. He knew the heart of Achan before he ever did it. So perhaps God saw the compromise that was in the camp. And so to do that, he said, well, to purge that out of there, I'm going to give them an opportunity to display what's in their heart already. God didn't make Achan do that. God provided an opportunity. He tested him. God will test you. God does not tempt you. That's a New Testament revelation. He was tested and found insufficient. 
And so could it be that God um, was purging compromise out of the camp? Maybe he was rewarding obedience. You see, with Jericho, um, because of the compromise, um, Joshua was obedient. And, and so from that obedience, maybe God was rewarding their obedience to allow them to take part of the treasures of Ai. Maybe he was preventing bitterness. If God once again said, you will not take of this, of the spoils, maybe God knew in advance that it would cause a bitterness to set into the hearts of the people. That's possible. Um, maybe he was keeping them from certain gods or certain idolatries in Jericho. If they were to take of those spoils, they could have been introduced to um, to idolatries that they they weren't going to be introduced to in AI. So God saw fit to prevent them access in Jericho, but to permit them in AI. All of these are possible. Um, just kind of speculative on my part, but very possible. So I just kind of want to close this out with with really um, what I believe Joshua kind of captures in the heart of of what we can read, and and that's this this place of of um, consecration to purity and holiness, th- to obedience to the Lord's direction and faithfulness. I think that is what we are will be required of us in these days going forward, and to to enter into the promises that God has in store, but we must be obedient, we must trust, and we must consecrate ourselves to a life of purity, of holy, of holiness and righteousness. And when we do that, we can be confident that we will walk in fellowship with God, in intimacy, a, a face-to-face partaking with God. And, and by doing that, all things work together um, and uh, we can be confident in his love and goodness and mercy. So I thank you for taking the time as we close out this section, and uh, we will see you on the next one. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house I hold